Psalm 26. It's in your worship folder, or if you like, open up your, your Bible to Psalm 26. And if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we ask that you would open our eyes and hearts, that we would understand these things, that they would penetrate into our minds and our hearts and our very beings, that we would understand that we are called to honor you with all that we do and you will take care of that. It may not be the easiest road, but that is the call upon our hearts and our lives, that you be first and foremost and that your truth be proclaimed. We pray your Holy Spirit to come and open our eyes to these things and give us understanding, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. This is Psalm 26. It is a psalm of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Do not sit with the men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. John Calvin said there's no greater injury that can be inflicted upon men than to wound their reputations. To wound their reputations. If you examine the qualifications for elder within the church, one of those qualifications is that they have a good reputation among the community. Reputations take years to build and seconds to destroy. Uh, It took Bud Light decades to become America's beer and 32 hours to destroy that reputation. $20 billion in share lost. Okay, 20, In fact, 20%, $27 billion in share lost. Their reputation went down tubes. So in our present day culture, reputations are often destroyed through what has become known as canceling or cancel culture. The rise of this canceling follows a, a familiar pattern. I'm just quoting a variety of places here. A public figure does or says something offensive to a particular audience. The fact that the statement is true doesn't really matter. It's just offensive to someone. A public backlash, often fueled by social media and those who are triggered or traumatized, ensues. Then comes the call to cancel the person, to effectively end their career or revoke their cultural cachet, whether through boycotts of their work or disciplinary action from an employer. This type of tool, quote-unquote, has become important in social justice and the desire to achieve certain ends. People's reputations are destroyed because they have different opinions 
rather than adhering to the current trends of society and free speech seems to be not that important. So the believer is faced with a dilemma. Okay, All that to say the believer has a dilemma. How do we say what is true and keep our reputations intact? Because the world doesn't particularly like or think the Bible says what is true is true for them. So recently, a professional baseball player was excoriated for not wearing a pride patch on his uniform. Um, it wasn't considered an issue of freedom of religion or freedom of expression. It was uh, ruled as bigotry. It was ruled as homophobia. His name is Jason Adam, pitcher for Tampa Bay. He opted out of the Rays' pride night, okay, which included a patch on their sleeve. Um, in an interview, he explained that the decision wasn't political at all but he felt uncomfortable wearing something that celebrates something Jesus does not encourage. He says, just like Jesus tells me, a heterosexual guy, to abstain from sex outside of marriage, it's no different. Believers are called to stay away from all types of sin. Scripture says even the certain appearances of sin, no matter what the personal cost is to us. Rosaria Butterfield, who was the author of uh, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, quoted her before. She was a professor in New England, uh, very liberal in women's study, a, a lesbian, and um, wrote a letter, and a pastor then invited her to come to dinner. So for two years, she came to dinner at his house, and they just talked. And over those two years, the Lord worked in her life, and she became a believer. That was some 20 years ago, uh, and has since... Uh, written quite a few books beyond the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. But she recently wrote a very long article of public repentance about her sin. And her sin was using preferred pronouns. Using preferred pronouns. Society says we have to use the pronouns people want us to, and if we don't use the right ones, then we're nothing but a bunch of haters or bigots. And Butterfield stated, using transgendered pronouns is a sin against the ninth commandment, it encourages people to sin against the Tenth Commandment. It's a sin against the creation ordinance. It's a sin against image bearing. It discourages a believer's progressive sanctification. It falsifies the gospel by confirming their sin. She said basically using biblically wrong pronouns discourages repentance. It discourages repentance. Why should someone consider their choice to be sinful if believers confirm them in their sin? But to voice such an opinion in public, you can be canceled, you can be ruination of your reputation, and perhaps your livelihood. Butterfield goes on to say that trans identity and Jesus are not neighbors or even close relatives. It's one or the other. And this was crucial for us. Christians need to learn how to love their enemies, not pretend their enemies are their friends. How do you love someone who has such a different opinion, different priorities, and who may want to ruin your reputation, but yet Christians are called to love them. Vladimir Lenin, Judy corrected me last week, because I quoted Lenin last week. I seem to be on a Lenin roll. And, and she said, you and I understand who you were talking about, but some people may have thought you were talking about John Lenin. Okay, so... If you hear me say Lenin, you know, I've, I've been to the, to the Soviet Union several times, you know, I, uh, 
so you know I'm talking about Vladimir Ilyinich Lenin. Lenin once said, you probe with bayonets. If you find mush, you push. If you find steel, you withdraw. Society has mostly found mush when it attempted to push boundaries of right and wrong, even within the church. They didn't find steel, found mush. Too many have not been willing to risk the ire of culture. So where does the believer turn for vindication about what we believe and, and, and what we stand on as what is right when the world around us attempts to destroy us for holding to and declaring the ultimate truths that do not change. Those are found which in, in God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ. David is facing the same problem. Liars, hypocrites, evildoers, wicked individuals, sinners, and even murderers, as, as laid out here in the psalm, who have all betrayed God by their actions are working hard to destroy David's reputation. Now, David's king at this point, and they're attempting to destroy his reputation. Psalm 26 contrasts David's faithfulness to God with the sinfulness of those who, by their actions, have betrayed God. And unlike the people whose characteristics David has listed, he says, I've lived in integrity. I've lived in integrity, and I love your sanctuary, O Lord. He has stood for what is right, what is just, what is pure and godly, and has been attacked because he's unwilling to compromise on those things, much like we would be in society. You go and stand on what is right, you will be attacked. He needs God's help if he's going to continue to live in integrity. So those who live godly lives can expect, Scripture is very clear, expect to receive persecution in a fallen world. We just have to make sure that it's not because we're being selfish or pig-headed, but because we're living for Christ and unwilling to compromise on those things. So false charges have been leveled against David here, calling into question his ability to lead the nation and challenging his fitness to go into the temple and to worship God. So they're, they're questioning his reputation and questioning his spiritual standing before God. And it's the deceitful and the hypocritical who are challenging David's qualifications, challenging God's integ his integrity before God. They have brought these charges against God. They are bloodthirsty. They are seeking to have him removed from his position. They want to destroy David. That's what they're after. In modern terms, they want to call, cancel him. They want to remove his opinions. They want to remove his person from society, even though his opinions, God's opinions really, they want to replace them with man's opinions and man's create, man created definitions of what is right. So if the world can destroy uh, an individual's reputation who is firmly planted in what is right and true according to the Lord and silence any righteous voices and lives, where do the righteous turn for vindication? Well, we can see in the very first word, David cries out for vindication. Okay, Lord, vindicate me. Now, vindicate usually means a desire to be shown to be right over against others. Here, vindication is used by David as seeking God's vindication of the righteousness of his life. 
Lord, I have lived a righteous life before you. Vindicate me because of that righteous life, because of your grace and mercy. He has lived in a devout fashion. He has lived in a moral fashion, a blameless, blameless life in sincerity and purpose, not a sinless life. We know about David. Okay, He had his problems. But in his sincerity and purpose, his desire to live before the Lord in integrity, that's what he is talking about. He's been trying to obey God, and he's surrounded by those who think he's foolish. I mean, think of that. You go out into the world and try to live in obedience to God, and the world will consider you to be foolish. In fact, they will not particularly like you because of certain opinions that you say, well, God says this, I have to follow it. Today, many are willing to mock Christians for um, attempting to hold to what is true, an unchanging truth in a very changing world. So David is attempting to show by the quality and steadfastness of his life that a moral life is always best for the sake of God's honor and for the good of those who are watching him. Now, a moral life is always best. Now, I'm not going to quote scripture for this one. I'm going to quote the humanists. And you think, Randy, you're quoting the humanists in, in the sermon. What's going on? Well, I wondered what the humanists thought about the moral life. So I went to a variety of humanist websites, and they said, a moral life is always better because being bad is bad for you. Imagine that. Immorality is bad for you, and even the humanists understand it that way. Because immorality leads to destructive behaviors. Now, the, really, the only off-ramp of that life, when you're on that path to immorality and destructiveness in your life is Jesus Christ because he's the only one who has the power to change a heart and to change a life last weekend I received news that a friend of mine classmate of mine from high school passed away which you know I'm on a 43rd reunion so we've lost quite a few uh, over the years But this passing was a little bit different because at 60 years of age, he overdosed on heroin. 60 years of age. As far as I know, he and I started in the drugs on the same day. We smoked our first joint together when we were 12. Except at 15, Christ changed my life completely. That was the last time I I ever looked at drugs, moved away from that, moved away from that culture and everything. Jesus changed my life. He called me to walk in his ways while my friend never left drugs, never heeded the call of Christ, never walked in his ways, never sought a godly life. Immorality is bad for your health. Then we have to ask our question. Are we willing... To ask the Lord to do a divine inventory of our lives. See, that's going to be pretty frightening. To say, okay, like David, I want to walk in an upright, in a moral way. Who, who will I turn to to examine my life? We have to turn to the Lord. So David is convinced that he has, verses 6 and 7, washed his hands in innocence. I proclaim thanksgiving aloud. Verses 4 and 5, I don't sit with men of falsehood. I don't consort with hypocrites. I don't 
I hate the assembly of evildoers. I'm not going to sit with the wicked. We read Psalm 1. We know what that means. That's how you remain upright. That's how you follow the Lord. You don't hang out in those crowds. You seek what is right. But it's difficult not to hang out with evildoers in the world. Okay? Why is it so difficult? Well, because it's almost impossible to avoid people who are, don't believe in Christ, who want to do what they want to do. We're surrounded by people who love to do evil, even delight in evil. And I'm not talking about murderers and rapists and, and things like that. I'm talking about your average, everyday person that we deal with who think it's loving to confirm others in their sin, who scoff at God's laws because, well, that's good enough for you, but that's not what I do. That's not what I think is true, and I'm going to pursue what I think is true. So how do we live in a world as the light of Christ and not become like them, affirm these people in their sin, or danger for us to become like Pharisees? Well, I don't live like them. Remember the Pharisee? I thank God I'm not like that tax collector. I do this and I do that. And we become so puffed up in our own holiness. Who wants to hang out with us? See, that's the, the tension that we live in as believers. We are in the world, but not of the world. We have to love our enemies, not pretend they're friends, but we have to love them by still remaining holy in our lives and in our pursuits. We have to understand that to regularly be in the company of such people, the evil people, the non-believers, means there's a greater chance that we'll be dragged down. We have to work harder at maintaining our holiness, maintaining what is right. The psalm tells us to live with them, but don't consort or condone with them. Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. They have to see and hear the things of Christ in our lives, hear it from our mouths, are we hypocrites? Well, of course we are. We're trying not to be, though. But we are. So we as believers understand that an effective three-point presentation of the gospel might appeal to some people. But a lot of people in the world today, they want to see it in your life. They want to hear after they have seen what it is that you hold to be true in your life. We who have been taught what is right and believe in the power of Christ to change lives need to live what is right before the eyes of the world. We need to demonstrate the gospel. We have to live it out. This is no big, this isn't news to anybody. We have to live it out. We have to love them even when they hate us. That's hard. We need to demonstrate the gospel to show them the path of righteousness because that leads to real and sustainable joy. The path of immorality leads to temporary happiness. I mean, my friend found a lot of happiness. Shoot up, then there's no happiness. Shoot up, and then there's no happiness. For years and years that went on. Immorality leads to disaster. Sin always leads to disaster. We can look, what, and what we need to be is... That, that beacon of Christ, they look at our lives. Are our lives perfect? No, of course not. But where do we turn and how do we manage in the midst of crisis, in the midst when things do not always go well? We understand that we have something that undergirds all that we are. That is our faith in Christ. He holds us. He never lets us out of our hand, his hand. He sustains us through that. 
does the world see that in your life, in your behaviors? Do we, do we who profess Jesus Christ live in such a way as our lives confirm our professions? Remember, the world will not vindicate your faith. The world will not say, Randy, you are doing such a good job in being a Christian. We just love that. We love that you're countercultural. We love that you're going to stand apart from the rest of us. We just love that you're going to tell us that, that we're living in sin and that the only hope is Jesus Christ. The world will not vindicate you. Only the Lord will vindicate you. The world will ridicule us, cancel us, ostracize us. Are you willing to pray, Lord, search my heart. Taste, test me and see if there's any wickedness in me. Because for the sake of the unbeliever, I want that wickedness out, Lord. David asked God to examine his heart and his mind. What he has been taught in his mind and his heart has he been born again. So after he cries for vindication, after all that, and he goes back and forth, we get to the last verse. Now my foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Solid level ground refers literally to a level place or a plateau, or it is also used for righteousness and justice in the Old Testament. So David proclaims that he stands on the solid ground of righteousness, the result of the Lord's mercy in his life, and which is demonstrated in his rejection of evil and his love of worship and love of the Lord. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon in his sermon, The Saints Horror at the Sinner's Hell. He said, if you've prayed this prayer and if your character be rightly described in the psalm before us, Psalm 26, be not afraid that you shall be gathered with sinners. Have you the two things that David had, the outward walking in integrity and the inward trusting in the Lord? Do you endeavor to make your outward conduct and conversation conformable to the example of Christ? Do you scorn the idea of being dishonest and being undevout? At the same time, you are resting upon Jesus Christ's sacrifice and can you embrace the altar of God with humble hope? If so, then rest assured, with the wicked you shall never be gathered, but your feet shall stand in the congregation of the righteous in the day when the wicked are cast away forever. Lord, examine my heart. Test me. See if there's wickedness in me. Because I want to be yours. See, if you're willing to pray that, if you're willing to ask the Lord to examine your heart, you, you better hang on, okay? You better hang on because he's going to show you things that you may not like. And then your job is to adjust them in your life, to get rid of those things that take you away from the word, that hinder you in your walk in holiness, in your progressive sanctification as you grow more and more like Christ. Because we all want to be able to stay, I stand on level ground. It's the ground of Christ, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Vindicate me, O Lord, because the world is not going to do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and We want our lives to be holy and righteous. 
they will not be sinless. David's life was not sinless. But he said, I, I, I stand in integrity before you. My desire is to live a righteous life. My desire is to be in your temple and to worship you. I don't consort. I don't invest in what is wicked. But Lord, we live in this world and we must love those who hate us. We must love those who want to silence our voices. We must love those who stand in opposition to your word. They hated Christ. They'll, they'll hate us off and on. We just have to be ready for that. But we know that we stand vindicated before the throne. Not because we're right in our own mind and heart, but because of the work Christ has done. Because he has called us and you've drawn us unto yourself. Because we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Remind us of this, Lord. In those days when we think the world just hates us. When we look at the news or we see the world around us and we think that evil is winning. That evil is on the march. But yet we stand vindicated by you. You are the sovereign in control over all things. And the only answer to the desperate needs of the world, the only answer that has lasting effect is a life changed by Christ. Lord, do not let us compromise on this, but let us stand firmly on what is right in your word, never turning to the left or the right, but walking the path that is lit before us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.